Chapter 12 of Hopalong Cassidy's Roundup. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Corey Jaffone. Hopalong Cassidy's Roundup by Clarence Edward Mulford. Chapter 12 Hospitality of Travens. Mr. Buck Peters rode into Alkaline one bright September morning and sought refreshment at the Emporium. Mr. Peters had just finished some business for his employer and felt the satisfaction that comes with the knowledge of work well done. He expected to remain in Alkaline for several days, where he was to be joined by two of his friends and punchers, Mr. Hopalong Cassidy and Mr. Red Connors, both of whom were at Cactus Springs, 70 miles to the east. Mr. Cassidy and his friend had just finished a nocturnal tour of Santa Fe and felt somewhat peevish and dull in consequence, not to mention the sadness occasioned by the expenditure of the greater part of their combined capital on such foolishness as faro, roulette, and wet goods. Mr. Peters and his friends had sought wealth in the Black Hills, where they had enthusiastically disfigured the earth in the fond expectation of uncovering vast stores of virgin gold. Their hopes were of an optimistic brand, and had existed until the last canister of cornmeal flour had been emptied by Mr. Cassidy's burrow, which waited not upon its master's pleasure nor upon the ethics of the case. When Mr. Cassidy had returned from exercising the animal and himself over two miles of rocky hillside in the vain endeavor to give it his opinion of burrows and sundry chastisements, he was requested, as owner of the beast, to give his counsel as to the best way of securing eighteen breakfasts. Remembering that the animal was headed north when he last saw it, and that it was too old to eat anyway, he suggested a plan which had worked successfully at other times for other ends, namely poker. Mr. McAllister, an expert at the great American game, volunteered his service in accordance with the spirit of the occasion and, half an hour later, he and Mr. Cassidy drifted into Pell's Poker Parlors, which were located in the rear of a Chinese laundry, where they gathered unto themselves the wherewithal for the required breakfasts. An hour spent in the card room of the Hura convinced its proprietor that they had wasted their talents for the past six weeks in digging for gold. The proof of this permitted the departure of the outfits with their customary élan. At Santa Fe, the various individuals had gone their respective ways to reassemble at the ranch in the near future, and for several days they had been drifting south in groups of twos and threes and, like chaff upon a stream, had eddied into Alkaline, where Mr. Peters had found them arduously engaged in postponing the final journey. After he had gladdened their hearts and soothed their throats by making several pithy remarks to the bartender, with whom he established their credit, he cautioned them against letting anyone harm them and, smiling at the humor of his warning, left abruptly. Cactus Springs was burdened with a zealous and initiative organization known as Vigilantes, whose duty it was to extend the courtesies of the land to cattle thieves and the like. This organization boasted of the name of Travens Terrors and of a muster roll of twenty there was also a boast that no one had ever escaped them which, if true, was in many cases unfortunate. Mr. Slim Trevens, with whom Mr. Cassidy had participated in an extemporaneous exchange of Colt's courtesies in Santa Fe the year before, 
was the head of the organization and was also chairman of the committee on arrivals, and the two gentlemen of the Bar 20 had not been in town an hour before he knew of it. Being anxious to show the strangers every attention and having a keen recollection of the brand of gunplay commanded by Mr. Cassidy, he planned a smoother method of procedure and one calculated to permit him to enjoy the pleasures of a good old age. Mr. Trevens knew that horse thieves were regarded as social enemies, that the necessary proof of their guilt was the finding of stolen animals in their possession, that death was the penalty, and that every man, whether directly concerned or not, regarded himself as judge, jury, and executioner. He had several acquaintances who were bound to him by his knowledge of crimes they had committed, and would not refuse his slightest wish. Even if they had been free agents, they were not above causing the death of an innocent man. Mr. Trevens, feeling very self-satisfied at his cleverness, arranged to have the proof placed where it would do the most harm, and intended to take care of the rest by himself. Mr. Connors, feeling much refreshed and very hungry, arose at daylight the next morning, and, dressing quickly, started off to feed and water the horses. After having several tilts with the landlord about the bucket, he took his departure toward the corral at the rear. Peering through the gate, he could hardly believe his eyes. He climbed over it and inspected the animals at close range and found that those which he and his friend had ridden for the last two months were not to be seen, but in their places were two better animals, which concerned him greatly. Being fair and square himself, he could not understand the change and sought enlightenment of his more imaginative and suspicious friend. "'Hey, hop along,' he called. "'Come out here and see what the blazes has happened.' Mr. Cassidy stuck his auburn head out of the wounded shutter and complacently surveyed his companion. Then he saw the horses and looked hard. "'Quit your foolin', you old cuss,' he remarked pleasantly as he groped around behind him with his feet, searching for his boots. "'Anybody would think you was a little boy with your fool jokes.' Ain't you ever going to grow up? They've got our bronc, replied Mr. Connors in an injured tone. Honest, I ain't kidding you, he added for the sake of peace. Who has? came from the window, followed immediately by, You've got my boots. I ain't. They're under the bunk, contradicted and explained Mr. Connors. Then, turning to the matter in his mind, he replied, I don't know who's got them. If I did, do you think I'd be holding hands with myself? Nobody would accuse you of anything like that, came from the window, accompanied by an overdone snicker. Mr. Connors flushed under his accumulated tan as he remembered the varied pleasures of Santa Fe, and he regarded the Broncos in anything but a pleasant state of mind. Mr. Cassidy slid through the window and approached his friend, looking as serious as he could. Any tracks? he inquired as he glanced quickly over the ground to see for himself. Not after that wind we had last night. They might have growed there for all I can see, growled Mr. Connors. I reckon we'd better hold a powwow with the foreman of this shack and find out what he knows, suggested Mr. Cassidy. This looks too good to be a swap. Mr. Connors looked his disgust at the idea and then a light broke in upon him. Maybe they was hard pushed and wanted fresh cayuses, he said. A whole lot of people get hard pushed in this country. Anyhow, we'll prospect the boss. They found the proprietor in his stocking feet getting the breakfast, and Mr. Cassidy regarded the preparations with open approval. He counted the tin plates and found only three, and, thinking that there would be more plates if there were others to feed, 
glanced into the landlord's room. Not finding signs of other guests, on whom to lay the blame for the loss of his horse, he began to ask questions. "'Much trade?' he inquired solicitously. "'Yup,' replied the landlord. Mr. Cassidy looked at the three tins and wondered if there had ever been any more with which to supply his trade. "'Been out this morning?' he pursued. "'Nope.' "'Talks pretty nigh as much as Buck,' thought Mr. Cassidy, and then said aloud, "'Anybody else here?' "'Nope.' Mr. Cassidy lapsed into a painful and disgusted silence, and his friend tried his hand. "'Who owns a mosaic bronc, Chinese flag on the near side, skillet brand?' asked Mr. Connors. "'Kien sabe?' "'Gosh, he can nearly keep still in two lingos,' thought Mr. Cassidy. "'Who owns a bobtailed pinto, saddle gal, cast in the near eye, star diamond brand, white stocking on the off-front prop, with a habit of scratching itself every other minute,' went on Mr. Connors. "'Slim Travens,' replied the proprietor, flopping a flapjack. Mr. Cassidy reflectively scratched the back of his hand and looked innocent, but his mind was working overtime. "'Who's Slim Travens?' asked Mr. Connors, never having heard of that person, owing to the reticence of his friend. "'Captain of the Vigilantes.' "'What does he look like on the general run?' blandly inquired Mr. Cassidy, wishing to verify his suspicions. He thought of the trouble he had with Mr. Trevens up in Santa Fe and of the reputation that gentleman possessed. Then the fact that Mr. Trevens was the leader of the local vigilantes came to his assistance, as he was sure that the captain had a hand in the change. All these points existed in misty groups in his mind, but the next remark of the landlord caused them to rush together and reveal the plot. Good, said the landlord, flopping another flapjack and a warden to hoss thieves. Ahem, coughed Mr. Cassidy, and then continued, Is he a tall, lanky, yaller-headed son of a gun with a big nose and lots of ears? Maybe so, answered the host. Earn slapping over into bad Sue, thought Mr. Cassidy, and then said aloud, How long has he hung around this here layout? At the same time passing a warning glance at his companion. The landlord straightened up. Look here, stranger, if you hunkers after his pedigree so all fired hard, you had best pump him. I told you this here feller wasn't a man what would give away all he knowed, lied Mr. Connors, turning to his friend and indicating the host. He ain't got time for that. Anybody can see that he is a powerful, busy man. And then he ain't no child. Mr. Cassidy thought that the landlord could tell all he knew in about five minutes and then not break any speed records for conversation, but he looked properly awed and impressed. Well, you needn't go and get mad about it. I didn't know, did I? Who's getting mad? Pugnaciously asked Mr. Connors. After his injured feelings had been soothed by Mr. Cassidy's sullen silence, he again turned to the landlord. What did this Trevens look like when you saw him last? Coked Mr. Connors. The same as he does now, as you can see by looking out the window. That's him down the street, enlightened the host thawing to the pleasant Mr. Connors. Mr. Cassidy adopted the suggestion and frowned. Mr. Trevens and two companions were walking toward the corral, and Mr. Cassidy once again slid out of the window, his friend going by the door. End of Chapter 12 The Hospitality of Trevens Recording by Corey Jaffone